Welcome to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. So it's getting absolutely freezing, absolutely freezing. And you know what that means. It means it's November and November means Movember. So it's time for us to unite and to tackle men's health issues. Things like mental health, suicide, prostate cancer and testicular cancer. All the things that are affecting our fathers, our brothers, our sons, cousins, uncles and friends. Movember is an annual global charity event that takes place during the month of November. And it involves men growing moustaches to raise awareness and funds for men's health issues, particularly focusing on prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health and suicide prevention. The Movember Foundation, which originated in Australia, but has since gained international recognition, encourages men, often referred to as Mobros, (laughs) to grow moustaches, and seek sponsorship for their efforts. The funds raised through Movember are used to support research, advocacy, and initiatives aimed at improving men's health and well-being. Movember also promotes open conversations about men's health and encourages men to talk about their physical and mental health concerns. It's become a prominent movement to address some of the unique health challenges that men face and to break down the stigma surrounding these issues. We're going to put a link in the show note to check them out, support and donate to this amazing charity so that they can carry on doing the brilliant work that they do. In today's episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion, we're going to talk about some of the issues particularly about mental health, since that's where we are experts. We're going to be discussing the barriers that men have when they're seeking to access mental health support. We're going to talk about who is at risk from challenges with their mental health, how organisations can take the lead on making sure that every employee feels safe. And also, how can men support and help each other through some of these challenges? But in case you hadn't figured out yet, Obi and I are not men. No, we're not. So in order to discuss this topic, (laughs) I needed to look at my Rolodex. For those of you old enough to remember Rolodexes, I had to trawl through my Rolodex of contacts to find someone who had the unique and very special skills, characteristics, makeup, personality, charisma, charm, and wit (laughs) to partner with us on this episode. But they were busy. So instead, (laughs) I've invited a very special someone other. His name is Jonathan. Jonathan Weller. And... uh, for the eagle-eared amongst you. Yes, he is my husband, but he's also director at Michael Page. Now, 
John has had a lot of first-hand experience of supporting me with my mental health challenges. He's also had a lot of experience in the workplace supporting colleagues who have struggled with their mental health. So he is, all jokes aside, he is the best person I could think of to have this really important conversation about how we can help men address mental health and access support more readily. I'll let him describe my challenges and what it's like working with people who are struggling with mental health in his own words, but I'm very excited to have you on this particularly special for me episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. Welcome, John. Welcome, John. I'm just as excited as you. You don't look it. No. no. You look scared. Mm -hmm. You look like we dragged him in. We, we can't say we didn't, but he's here. So thank you, John. I, I, I volunteered under duress. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're supposed to at least fake like you enjoy being no, here. No, we're not no. about faking around here, are we? So uh, it's what it is. Yeah, but this is yeah. exactly the point we have. The conversation that not a lot of men find comfortable to discuss and talk about. And so, you know, men's mental health has been a critical issue for a lot of reasons. So thank you, John, for doing that. Mm -hmm. So um, I just want to talk about the men's mental health it become bigger and bigger it become an issue it's been an issue for a while and it doesn't seem to be letting up not from the stats anyway with men being less likely to seek support for mental health issues compared to women so men face a higher risk of suicide statistics showing that men are more likely to complete suicide attempts than women in the uk the rate of male suicide is alarmingly high Three out of four suicides in the UK are by men, making suicide the leading cause of death for men under 50. I'm surprised by that. Why? You think it would higher or less? I'm surprised that it's the leading cause of death of men under 50. If it was under 30, yeah, okay. Then you think that, yeah. But I'm surprised that suicide kills more men in this country than in any other thing heart attacks and cancer under the age of 50. In the US, not much different either. So the suicide for men is about 3.7 times higher for than women, according to the CDC, so that's the Center of DD Control and Prevention. Globally, though, according to the World Health Organization, men account for approximately 78% of global suicide. That's a very, that's the one big killer, really. So the suicide rate is high among middle aged and older men. Interesting, I thought it was younger, but it's not. And the suicide rate in the UK is among men aged 45 to 49. So that is the age, John, you're in. Mm. Yeah, the age, really. <laughs> He's still got a couple I of know, months got, left. <laughs> but that is the age range we're talking about. It's also the age range of a lot of your colleagues at the moment. So that's, mm. the, mm -hmm. that's why I wanted to draw attention to that. Yeah. When it comes to regional, the northeast of England had a higher rate of suicides than London, which I didn't see coming either. I just thought that London, high-pressurized city, all of that stuff, I mm -hmm. just thought that's what I would expect in, but it's that suggested that around northeast had more um, risk there. And of course, certain occupational risks. So in terms of construction, that's 
systemically had been high. I, I don't see it hadn't gone down. Constructing agricultural sector, I could think sectors that had just haven't had more men in them. Mm. What I'm thinking that might be mm. it. Yeah. Compared to places like tech and stuff, I'm just thinking it just might be there's more men in that industry. So look at the stats. They are is depressing. And I don't see with all the mental health conversation we've been having for years, you know, the last few years, especially since the pandemic, has this number gone down or not? I don't think it has, simply mm-hmm. because generally mental health has been running high because of the mm-hmm. issue with NHS and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to just share the stats on that and where we are and why we're still having this conversation and why November is important to get men to think about their health, especially their mental health. I love the fact that we're using this platform to shine a light on men's mental health in particular. I know in the work that we do with Aurora and being women, we often are talking about feelings and emotions and that tends to attract a female audience. But having interviewed and spoken with Kirsty, for those of you who are regular listeners, you might have already heard this episode that I did on suicide beyond the statistics so if you haven't do go and check it out we'll put the link in the show notes but Kirsty is a friend of ours who lost her partner Ben to suicide and in that she has a very frank and open discussion about what it was like in the years and it was years as well as in the weeks running up to the event where he actually in a very calculated way organized planned and calculated way where he ended his life by suicide, it really highlighted to me just the burden of carrying and managing and struggling to get help with mental health disorders for men in particular. Yeah, We talk about the stigma and what it is to be a man these days. My daughter... And I love her. I'm very proud of her. She's very right on feminist. <laughs> she she would refer to it as the toxic masculinity. And it is toxic. Not to be a man, but to feel that masculinity is defined by how, how you can solve problems on your own. Right? Yeah. And that leads to so much shame and guilt for feeling like you want or need help. And that is ultimately what kills some men. Yeah. And I have to say, we're going to go on to, to go to John now in terms of the barriers face. We have the research to say what the barriers are, but I kind of want to go a bit more deeper into what are the barriers that you, your colleagues, your friends, mm-hmm. are to pay to what men the barriers are. Because that's the research we say, but I want to know does it match what the research said? What are the barriers that you feel mm. prevent men, like Ben, in that case, mm. Kirsty's partner, seeking help earlier? I think the first point is the stats don't surprise me. Okay. So you talk about profiling of age, for instance. Yeah. So personal experience-wise, my generation, and probably older, I'd say there's a stereotype. So what, what is a man is probably the first thing to say. And a man is a figure of strength who is stoic and very, let's say, focused on you are always the person that gives the support. You don't receive it. And if you receive the support, then uh, are you really fulfilling your responsibility as a man? So mm-hmm. some of it, that's cultural linked as well. So you mentioned that in the mix of London and then Northeast. 
we look at the tradition and let's say sort of the cultures even within the region so northeast is a very let's say masculine centric it's mining it's you know mm. fishing it's versus you know london which is very mixed so financial services service you know there's lots of different sort of mix of people northeast is very masculine it's kind of mindset and upbringing so i'd say stereotypes is a massive one trying to step away from that is difficult if you're immersed in it you probably say to you've got the stereotypes but then you've got your upbringing as well isn't it so your role models in life so most boys role model is their father so my dad was brought up in the military and you know if he showed any kind of emotion bar annoyance it was (laughs) (laughs) it it was a weakness we've got a very loving mother but your role model still your dad Mm. so i basically frame my what should what do i need to be based on him and he's given me lots of strengths, including DIY. But um... <laughs> that's what you're going to shout out, your dad. For, is your DIY it's a good skills. skill to have. It's a brilliant yeah, skill to have. I'm just saying it, it is. It's helped you me well bring in life. So much more to the table than DIY, Keith. Just so you know. But it was never. There was never a point in you know in growing up where you sat down and basically said, you know, tell me about how you're feeling. In mm. all honesty, it's better that now. Yeah, now I'm growing up. He'll mm. talk to me about that. Mm. But as a child, no. That's it, it, interesting. There is something about men who, as they get older, not just men, to be honest, people, when they get older, they do soften a bit. And I do notice that also in my father. He never would have engaged with the whole mental health thing younger. He's still quite stoic as, a, as an African man, but mm. he's much more likely to discuss emotions now. Partly, though, I think it's because it's pressure off. <laughs> Whatever you are when you're older, you are. They're, yeah. Yeah, they're very aware yeah. that they want to try and mould you in what they feel or how they were brought up. How you should be. Yeah. 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 Um, I have to say, because that we were talking about dad. My dad was, you know, quite very emotional person. So emotional to extreme. So he'd cry. In front of that, that team mm. man cry wasn't on you for me because he'd cry and then get and then he'd chat. So I could see all the range of emotion for him. Yeah. But when my brother was diagnosed with a mental health condition, so it was almost like psychosis, I wasn't quite sure what it was. He took it quite hard. It was like he doesn't need, he just needs to get well and just yeah. be, you know, be mm-hmm. strong mm. kind of attitude. So on mm. one hand, I'm, he's okay with emotion, all range of it. But the mental health is specific because then where would you go in life with that? And mm-hmm. that is just something that we don't want to talk about. That's, that's not a thing. So I can imagine he's reacting to those. So I do appreciate the role modeling mm. of well, you, <laughs> what you see, right? He's how yeah. produced, yeah. If you never see your father cry, yeah. it's not right to cry. Yeah. Mm. I'll come back to that because there is something about how things are changing and how younger generations of men are seeing different role models but that's down to awareness though isn't it i yeah, think yeah. So. I and think that's so. why there's an age bracket so yeah. for me it's just my generation and older are more uptight mm-hmm. yeah, unless they throw <laughs> themselves in but then if i look about the you know down and the people that i manage at work and friends that are younger as well then there's a lot more freedom in their openness They'll express how, literally, they'll express how they feel and they don't mind. Even the guys? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what what kind of age are you talking about? 
uh, I'd say 30 and downwards, I'd okay. say. You'd see a very big difference in my age mates still. A lot of them won't. So I can probably name or yeah on one hand and less than that probably two fingers that <laughs> who's actually and we used to badge them as the softer ones. So that kind of yeah. So there's still yeah exactly. Well, again within the, within that project, I go back to university and think about how you define someone who was let's say in touch with their emotions. <laughs> how was that job? <laughs> together and i'm sure some of those people are listening now how was that job no no, let's just keep it clean but it was just yeah yeah. they were so soft and let's say in touch we'll just leave it as that (laughs) (laughs) but it wasn't necessarily a good thing it was not a bad thing but it wasn't like no no but no nobody nobody wants to be known at that Mm -hmm. point in time anyway nobody wants to be known for that yeah 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 i I quite like because what you're saying is, if your younger colleagues and friends, you're seeing them talk about it, which, which kind of gives me hope that what we're saying is, in another 10 years' time, that number yeah. might start yeah. to be up. In other words, it's the older ones who are feeling, because yeah. they're still from that generation and they haven't changed their attitude around it, but that the number might drop. I don't, I like to think that's where that might be heading. One yeah. hope so. Yeah. So I quite like, but that's then- good to know, yeah. I think there's a change in my age profile and above now, just, yeah, precisely to do with all the awareness around mental health. The other point I was going to make as well is, you know, jumping onto that awareness aspect, it's very secret. You know, again, if you look at kind of people who I know of now that struggled, then there's a lot of secrecy surrounding mental health because of the, let's say, you know, all the guilt, et cetera, linked to mental health or poor mental health within men. They don't volunteer it. And when I find out after the case, then you wish you could have done something. Yeah, okay. But you find out after because they weren't comfortable to talk about it because of the social issues of you know, being branded as weak or, yeah. So even though we're talking about it now, yeah. a lot of companies are doing well-being awareness and all the things, do you still think people still can't talk about it? They can, well, yeah, we're talking about it, well, to help. But when they, I'm going to say shit hit the fan. I'm just going to say sorry about that, but... When it comes down to it, when the real thing has happened, they won't still talk. Yeah, I've seen it, but then they at that stage, they are absolutely broken. They're not at a point where you yeah. can pick them up. It, that, that's a case of they, yeah. they need to, they need, they need, they need proper help. But I think the other bit, though, is it's just a case if you make a, a big assumption that you'd say the masculine, <laughs> toxic masculinity, as Layla frames it, <laughs> but... The other aspect there is personalities. So I'm a, I'm a, definitely an introvert and that has a massive bearing on, I think, yeah, as a man anyways, how much you talk anyway. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you basically have a, your role model, your cultural influences, and then you're an introvert, then you just start knocking off all the reasons why you wouldn't go and talk about how you feel. Can, can I make it a bit personal now? So when... You're going to uh, anyway. <laughs> when I was going through my really difficult times, and listen, I've gone through many. I remember when I had postnatal depression with Layla. I wasn't very clear around that time. But the big event when I was diagnosed with mm-hmm. depression, who did you go to 
for support did you talk to people and we no because we were now naming and shaming or mm. bringing into the open mm. what was wrong with my mental health mm. did that make it easier for you to go and talk about the impact it had on you with mm. someone the way i deal with my problems i don't tend to talk mm. at all and <laughs> listeners so, therein lies the problem but um, who who would i talk to though so um, i i wasn't necessarily concerned about people knowing so it wasn't necessarily any feeling of a shame within the family or anything mm. like that so i'd be but i'm quite a private person as well yeah okay. so who would i talk to first person i'm going to talk to is my mother mm. yeah and she would be a counselor to a point um but then how deep do I go with her? Then I, I'm open. But then I, I like to try and deal with a number of things myself. So if I, if I feel stressed, my my way of dealing things uh, with things is escapism sometimes. Mm. So I, I'll need a project or my exercise regime suddenly hikes up 50%. Something along those lines where it can burn for me. This is, this is probably why we have a pizza oven in the garden in this house <laughs> during the pandemic without explaining that project yeah because it was thing that everybody was dealing with it was the pandemic was stuck in the house all of that stuff yeah. but you found a way to deal with that by physically a practical physical outlet is usually my you. response okay because mm. again it's do i feel i need it then am i the best judge i, well, I don't know yeah and that's the mm. issue i have with it which mm. is I understand some concerns, some mental health concerns, say the less serious ones. So if you're at stage one or two of yeah. burnout, maybe two you get away with, then they can be worked through by, as we know, using their angel of well-being. If you don't know what angel is, where have you been? <laughs> There'll be a quiz or something in the show notes, but... The, the basically the NEF's five ways of well-being of which being active physically active is one of them uh learning something new is one of them so this idea of distracting yourself from your problems yeah that was going to work but mm. the really serious ones mm. and the idea of men and I think you're not the only one men who think I'm just going to try and fix this myself but I can not come to down to the denial of how serious something is. Yeah. So there is a conversation thing about how do I know it's bad or getting bad? And then you think, okay, I can cope. So if I can cope, mm. I can get out of bed, go to work, do my job, mm. still get a good part of the back at work, then I must be okay. So what mental health does, because it's so insidious, when it twists over, mm. it could be a week, could be a month, some people are living the next day. And all of a sudden, you're now in a state where you're now thinking, I'll probably just be better off dead now. What, what's the point of me? So that becomes the thought process. Then you start to nurture the thought. At one point, you're thinking, but I was fine yesterday. I could obviously manage. I'm going to find another project. That's all I need to do. Mm. But at some point, it, will, it won't work. Mm. So it's just a question of how do we get men to understand. At least that, I like the idea of doing what you can when you can do it. But when it gets more serious, how do you know it has gotten more serious? And I think that comes to the education and the awareness bit. But yeah. like any kind of 
intervention. You have to get used to using the thing. If you don't get used to talking, when you need it, then how can you just start talking? You weren't doing it before. So I feel like it's one of those... Well, you're a little bit more open to it, though. So being surrounded by, let's say, you guys for the last number of years and, <laughs> and hearing and seeing, then I'd say I'm a little bit more aware. So if I struggle to, my usual routine in the morning, if I struggle to do it, as in if I'm struggling to get out of bed for a run, that's a problem. Mm. If I'm procrastinating on things, whether that be for family or at work, I know that's because my mind's busy. Or if my motivation drops as well, then for me now, those are signs that something's wrong. Yeah. And there's something wrong, to be honest, is life's busy nowadays. And if I fall out of my routine, that creates problems for me. Okay. So there is, I like the idea of the fact that you can, but I want to make, how, how did. But then, yeah, that's me that? though. Yeah. That's you. Yeah. So what do you think organizations can do to help? Because. Yeah, we've mentioned a few points now. It's the it's a denial, it's a fact it's, it's cultural, it's all of that stuff that mm-hmm. prevent people from doing it, from seeking help. But how can organizations who I think are in a good position mm-hmm. to support men to access help early, to talk about it more, all of that stuff? What would you think? Yeah, so the, again, the privacy or I'm thinking about my age profile. So sub 30 might be different, but if I say my age profile, because that's the perspective I can talk from, from the word go, you need to create an environment where your team are comfortable approaching you. So for me, it's all, it's nice to have an EAP. That's great. (laughs) But it's nice to have mental first aiders. But most of the pushback I ever hear is a case of, I don't know them. They're not my friend. Yeah. Why yeah. am I going to basically, I'm at my most vulnerable now. Why am I going to talk to, you know, a complete stranger, someone in the office that I've never met, never mm. sat down with. And they're all good. They're all good in their own ways. But I think it, for me, it all comes down to your personal relationship with your colleagues. So over the years, you just learn some of these things that you, you have to take time out. You can learn from a theory perspective, but the practical application is key. And it's trying to be approachable as well. So from a manager perspective, then you've got to always start with a person. So your weekly catch-ups always starts with, how are you? And that weekly catch-up, you might put in your diary for an hour and you might talk about how are you for 55 minutes, mm. but that's what it's there for. Performance sometimes is or not performance sometimes, performance is always down to how that person's feeling. You hire a good person, they'll perform. Therefore, Feel better, do better better, philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. So it depends on where they are. Is every catch-up going to be a counselling session? No. But it's always the place where you need to start how you're getting on. And at a point, you don't want to call them out necessarily if you know they're feeling off. But when you've got a relationship that's positive and you know each other well enough, then you can say it. I can see you're off your game. How are you getting on? Well, you know, is so and so still struggling at home? You know, yeah, you, you understand know the personal. Is. Yeah, yeah. So what you're saying is, it shouldn't be necessarily down to having the EAP stuff, which is great, like you said, or yeah. mental health first aid. But it has to be the manager, person managing the person, has to know them well enough and be open enough to have the kind of conversation. Yeah. Otherwise, they won't actually talk. But if they're going to talk to anyone, it would mm. be that person who's managing you. Yeah, I mean, we talk about it all the time. So I'm glad you. 
You do sound like you've read the rise of the program. Genuinely, it's just, that's all down to experience. You can see when people are comfortable and when they're not. And managing, it's not even managing men and women, but you can't badge them as two groups either. Yeah. Individually, everyone's an individual. So the most unlikely person that I used to manage was quite a a burly chap, kind of rugby player-esque, and you, you expect... You almost impose your stereotypes on him, but completely opposite. Mm. He was very in touch with where he was emotionally. Mm. Yeah. So again, you've got to leave some of your stereotypes <laughs> at the door and actually talk and ask questions. I, that reminded me of the Norwich City Norwich Football City. Club video. Yeah, that I thought that last week, World Mental Health Day, is when it was released. And I'm going to put the link in the show notes because I don't want to ruin it for you. But it did talk about awareness about how assumptions about how somebody is or their personality, how we might assume something about them, but they're also yeah. going through something. And because you assume something, you don't ask or you don't probe more. And so that that was a really good one. So I will link yeah. that into the show notes. One of the other things I wanted to ask about how organisations could help, because like you said, they're already doing all this mental health awareness stuff. Management training would be good. I think not mm. every manager can have that skill set, so they do need to be yeah, trained well, on it. Do you think that would help? Because... There are some people, I mean, you live with me and you've been trained through life with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. But, not, but not every mid, middle-aged, I didn't know whether I could call you middle-aged, but we are. <laughs> mature. Mature. <laughs> I don't think you are, love. I know. Sophisticated. Yeah, definitely yeah. not. Anyway, not all of those managers in the 40 to 50 bracket mm. have had the benefit of no. this upbringing. No. So do you think it would help to have training which teaches you how to be an empathetic leader, how to ask those questions, how to probe when you need to, Abs- how to signpost, all that stuff? Absolutely. And it needs to be an intrinsic part of how you select a manager as well. Ooh. So Go why- on, tell us. <laughs> Not everyone's born to be a manager. So if you are functionally very capable at your job, that's great for you. But yeah, leadership or proper leadership anyway is all these skills, including being able to show empathy, understand your people, engage with them effectively. If you yeah. can't do that, unfortunately, you're not for leadership. And it's not a bad thing. No. You know, and I think companies need to be a bit more agile in how they use different skill sets. Because as a old school businesses, and I'm talking uh, very widely here, then people used to be promoted through their personal performance. Mm. yeah not their team yeah and, and this is where coach. it falls down it's interesting to me because you are actually a recruiter by trade right mm-hmm. and you recruit at senior levels mm-hmm. so are companies looking for these new skills or are they still hiring the senior positions based on the traditional values of who's functionally excellent good question yeah so you'd say pre-pandemic no post-pandemic much more focus on it what are they yeah. asking for now? What are they saying? Behaviourally wise, there's an expectation that if you're at that level, technically you can do the job. So you understand your profession. Mm-hmm. Then the emphasis and the selection is very much more on, okay, well, talk us through how you engaged and retained your team through the pandemic. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's, that's good. good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. It's that's a tough fine. time. Again, you've been in that post five years. Yeah, Have you managed to retain and develop your team through that period? 
because again if you have a uh, let's say a less capable people manager then you know you might see churn and burn so they might be performing but they've got a completely different team three four years later and you're okay. looking and you're looking for that consistency yeah. and they're going through with hiring decisions on this basis because i know there's a bit of what we say we do and then what we actually do so are they actually still taking those factors into consideration when they make the final hiring decision you'd say a lot of businesses are now because it's very expensive to get it wrong because that churn and burn piece is costly and they are learning painfully by not doing it so the incentive there is a, a cost yes it's the right thing to do but then there's a cost implication as well Oh, I'm yeah. so glad that I'm, I'm actually happy about that yeah. because I think that would ultimately change the culture of how well-being is seen, what an expectation of manager's role is, mm-hmm. which then support people to know this is my manager, therefore I feel open to tell him what I need to tell yeah. him and then get help where possible. And I think that would change the landscape of what it looks like going forward. I think if you keep on this path, I think we would that number needs to come down. But if we revert back to the old way, and I'm hoping that that's not thin anymore there's no mm. putting the genie back in the bottle no. that they're going to have to keep recruiting on it yeah they're going to have to make a mistake you're going to have people hoping they'll get people naturally who are like that instead of just yeah. training mm-hmm. people who are currently there you see what i mean so i'm hoping that would add yeah. to it so i do know that organizations have a lot of power to support men in the workplace and awareness days are great but i think i don't know whether or not men to get involved in awareness days. I feel like there might be a different way of managing those. Uh, yeah. it's, it's too yeah, it's too faddy though when you talk about awareness days. <laughs> you, you'll have a, a a number of pessimists um, sitting around thinking, well, that's a day or that's an hour. What's, what's going to change? And it, you know, fundamentally, it just goes back to you need to build a relationship you know, with your colleagues, workmates, you know, people that you support as a manager. It's, you know, it needs to happen all days, every day. day. Mm. Not an aware and awareness days are fine, but what we find from clients, what we hear from clients is that when they try to organise anything in support specifically of men, mm-hmm. whether it be their mental health or their physical health, mm. attendance turnout sign yeah. up is really low. Yeah, don't don't budget as mental health. Just Even basically... if it's physical health or anything, but mm. men, men yeah, but don't what do we call do... it? It meant, I mean, the whole November is men's health month. Yeah. So I'm, I would like to assume that men are thinking, oh, we've got a month for us, mm. no. right? <laughs> to discuss yeah. our issues, what we're struggling with. So I don't know. I just feel like it's like on one hand, we have to get them back on the table because I think if we keep creating programs for them, I mean, you mentioned earlier before they, we started recording about people going out for beers and then being able to know that's the reason why we're going to talk, but it's in an environment that they're comfortable with. It's yeah. important things. Even just mm. saying we're just going to go for a walk to a bike ride, but knowing that in this bike ride, we are going, it's going to come up. So that people know it's not like well, it's, we're going it, for a bike ride and it just kind of said it. You <laughs> create, you, but there is an activity. Yeah. That yeah. Like, actually, I don't mind the bike ride. I could do no. that. If it's a, there's a power death by PowerPoint, then no one's really interested. <laughs> but okay. if you, if you create a regular walk on a Wednesday, that's basically yeah. thirty mm. minute walk with a pint. Uh, <laughs> Walking with the pint, <laughs> you get the pint at the end. Usually, you get the pint at the end. You've got to justify it. I had the um, image. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, naturally, then you, you form a relationship. You walk, you know, you walk in, you know, two, three in a row, and you're chatting, and that's where you start. Then 
forming friendships and yeah. then you'll start you know right okay how the kids mm. and then you you go on a deeper level beyond you know what's going on at work mm. yeah so it needs to be a long-term incentive like those kind of things you know you either go mm. for a walk you go for a bike ride you play five-side football and you need to look at your let's say cross-section of people as well so what's going to appeal to them yeah so not everyone's you know uh, let's say a football fan so mm-hmm. that, no, that won't capture so again is there anything else there and you it's hard because you can't catch everyone no yeah but you catch you, the majority yeah good. Well, all you can do is catch the majority yeah. i think if you're i mean hr you're listening so this is part of your your role in what you want to be doing but i think you if you could get a cross section of the men within your organizations either the focus group or one-on-one and just ask the question what would help what could we do that would support you that would allow you to take part in certain activities then at least you get an idea of what they would more likely to attend and then you create that instead of going with what everybody else is doing online because that doesn't necessarily play a part and that brings me to the final question i wanted to talk to you about john which was so we talk about organization and how organizations can help, but how can men help other men to seek help more regularly? Mm. How, what could they do? Again, talking from my age profile, it is being a bit more aware of, okay, if you badge someone as in touch with their feelings, they're not going to see that as a compliment. So it's just mm-hmm. watching how you talk to people and try and react. So if you see someone who's behaving out, out of sorts, then you will have to adjust your behavior. You'll have to try and create environments sometimes where, again, going back to what we just said in terms of workplace, rather than go out with a whole group of mates, sometimes just basically try and create an environment where you go and play a one-on-one sport or you go take them for a pint and give them an opportunity because they might want to not do it in yeah. a you know, in a group-based environment, pull their heart out. But you can actually say as well, as you build the relationship or trust there, is just how you're getting on and noticed you are. Yeah. And that's the first step. Next steps then is just try and support them in terms of what what are you going to do? Sometimes they don't know. Sometimes you can do the work for them. You know, have you heard of these guys? And then uh, give them the, again, they're not going to want to reach out. No. And it, most, as I say, most guys my age are relatively private. Mm. But if you talk about it freely and also share your own experience as well, whether they're work friends or, you know, I'd say sort of personal friends, shouldn't divide them really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is just saying, you know, going back to your point, Gazi, that um, we as a family have been through it. Mm. Yeah. So you could say stressful in terms of bringing up kids, challenging kids sometimes. When you had a, a breakdown, it's just being open there. How do we cope as a family? You know, mm. it's not the end. Mm. Yeah, it's this is where we are now, and I get kind of where you're up to at the moment, but there is a way forward. Mm. But it's shared experience, isn't it? Mm. Not everyone can share experience, I get, but it's being willing to listen. I I agree. I think that's key. I think it that would have been number one in my head. I think in my head because I think when we're vulnerable with other people, it gives permission for them to be vulnerable back. Mm. And the minute someone has been vulnerable the first time to support someone else, they can do it again and again and again. Just imagine if more men are doing it, where you're thinking, "I'm supporting, I'm hearing." Yeah. I we went through that exactly. Then mm. the family, they get how we cope to be, get to who we ask for help. Could that person come back to ask more questions? Don't they? Because mm. they, you've now opened up. They can say, "By the way, you mentioned this." 
you know, come organization I can contact, who are they again? You know, when mm. they're ready, because like I said, you can't push someone or force them to share or anything, but you want them to know that you're available. And I think it'd be more specific, because when we talk about when people say, oh, my door is always open or whatever, you know. <laughs> we don't like that. But mm. actually, you can be more specific. We see, I'm in the office next Wednesday all day. So if you want, I'm just there. So just that way they know he's there on Wednesday. So if I wanted to reach out or talk and ask for a pint, that would be the day mm. that I ask. That's supposed to, I'm just generally about. Mm. So more specific, I think, might help someone think, actually, I'm going to think about that thing John said. I'm going to reach out the next Wednesday and just say, by the way, do you want to go for a pint at lunchtime? And then you mm. might know, oh, it looks like he wants to talk. And then mm. you might say, how about that thing we're talking about in a week? So I think it's about being as open, but also creating boundaries so that you're not sharing what, <laughs> I don't think anybody's to go and share what they don't want to share. I think you say what you're comfortable with, mm-hmm. but you do have to open up for somebody else to take the baton off you and go, actually, yeah. And once they do that and they get mm. solved their issue, they'll mm. help another person, another mm. person. Because I think look at the men must help other men situation. I think there's a limit. Even I, the therapist or psychologist, I see a lot of men in my work. That's what I used to do. But not in B when they were supported by other peers. That was always stronger. It was always more effective. When you say here's other people who've gone through similar view, mm. talk to them and then they could decide how they will share and open up and stuff like that. Don't just share that part. And and I think there's one other L that needs to come before listen, which is learn. So if you are a man of a certain generation and you're not used to opening up and you don't know how to ask awkward questions about difficult, sensitive topics then your responsibility is to learn. And that is not by reading a book, but when your organisation puts on training, don't go there with a closed mind, thinking, I haven't got any mental health issues, so I don't know why I need to open up your mind. Learn that there is another way. Not necessarily a better way, we're not casting judgments about who you are or what you do, but to learn, because that's what you have to do, and you are continually doing. You are continually learning because you have landed yourself with a very challenging wife who has given you <laughs> challenging children who will Challenge. always hold you to a high standard, let's say. Mm-hmm. So I know you work hard at learning how to deprogram some of that toxic masculine trait that mm-hmm. you picked up from our beloved father-in-law not even father-in-law it's just just culturally culturally, yeah Yeah, i know but you you have to you've had to learn how to ask you you Mm. still get it wrong Mm. on many occasions Mm. but now you get it right more than you do wrong about Mm. what do you do when you see someone who is clearly struggling and doesn't want to open up about it how do you ask the question how do you broach the subject Mm. it's not something that you naturally ever did your reaction before was avoid. Hey. <laughs> You'll be right. <laughs> all that, all she needs is space. I'll just give her space. She can sort herself out because it's that whole thing. Like I've mentioned before, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Men, as Martians, they each take care and take responsibility for their own well-being. That is it. You look after you, and mm-hmm. I'll look after me. Yeah, we will both be fine. Mm-hmm. Venusians, us women, know that if I have Obi's back and Obi's got my back, we will both be fine. The issue with mental health is there comes a point when I am Atlas pushing the stone up a hill. Is that right? It gets too heavy for me and it is going to crush me. 
and I can't keep trying to pretend that I can bear this weight on my own. But on Mars, that's exactly what I've got to do. So we need Martians to be a little bit more like Venusians. And there is an aspect of Venusians learning to be a bit more like Martians too and learning how to be resilient and develop strength of character and be able to recognise early signs for themselves and take responsibility for doing that. But now we're we're not putting yourself last all the time. Exactly. But I think that that was a very good analogy about that because if you're constantly thinking, I look after myself, they look after themselves, then when things are not longer as clear, Mm. you can't see it. Because exactly. you haven't been talking, because nobody else can say, by the way, that's mm. not how you looked last week, mm. because you're still going yeah. on, look at, oh, do I look like it? I don't, I don't know, I could mm. move on, and yeah. carry on. And I think that contributed to this silent, mm-hmm. deadly silent killer, because that's what it is. The exactly. minute, there's not a lot of people who did complete suicide, who were just shouting from the rooftop. It started off loud and got quiet and quiet and quiet and then they did it. And that tells you how much solo, Mm. insular it was. In other words, I'm by myself, I'm alone now. Yeah. And there's nothing beats more alone than being alone in your head where you cannot share, nobody knows what you're going Mm. through or they can see, but you're not prepared to open up or to give. So I think it's about breaking that barrier down. And that brings me to where people can get help. Because I do, a lot of men, to talk to your female folks, it's probably okay, it's probably fine that easy to do, but it's also mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. So we also know that men talking to other men, it's helped break down the barrier. We can't women can't break it for you. The women men have to do it themselves by saying mm-hmm. this is this is not working for us. The stats is out of control. We mm-hmm. cannot expect other women or anybody else to do it for us. We must do it. So therefore, which is why I'm such a fan of a lot of the organizations and charities that are there specifically to support men, I wouldn't name them all, but I was going to name a couple, which was the campaign against living miserable, the calm, and men shed, and then mind made. So I'm going to link all of that in the show notes, either at a PDF so people can just download it and then get it, so that you at least have access. What I'm going to challenge the men listening out there is to go and investigate some of these links. Just go and have a look at them to see whether I quite like this site, I like what they stand for. I'm going. I'm fine now, but I'm going to ring them and ask, how do you support people like me or my friends? Mm. Just ask the question. You mm. may not need it now, but you want to know what they're prepared to do and how they will support you and your friends and your other male family members. So that's the assignment I'm going to do. Get the list. Anyone that sounds right to you, just call them up and ask, what do you guys do? How do you help? How can you help my cousin? How can you help my brother? How can you help me if I need help? And hopefully that will give you more confidence and more information about what's out there and where you might be able to access more support should you need it. Hmm. So last word. I think this episode has given me hope. It's given me hope that actually we're, we're raising, working with a generation of men who are getting used to being more open and honest and vulnerable and that is being recognized by the world as not a weakness but actually a strength as as preventative rather than anything else and it's it's just so important to know that if you or someone you know who is struggling right now is listening to this podcast just know that you're not on your own you're in great company I'll put my hands up there. You are in great company and there is help available. So please, please, please 
do reach out to any one of the organisations that we've listed in the show notes. And I want to say a very special thank you to John for joining us on the pod. I know I give you a hard time sometimes, <laughs> but your contribution today was really helpful. Yeah. It gave cool. us a, a much needed male perspective mm-hmm. and what a voice of experience and wisdom. So thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you. And to the rebels out there, we will catch you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues, follow us on LinkedIn, the link will be in the show note, and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.